thank you guys. Um, a lot of work goes into what happens up here on Sunday morning. We're certainly grateful for all of the work the worship team puts in for that. You know, uh, Barbara Wilson is singing Great Is Your Faithfulness this morning. She's singing it uh, quite well, and she's singing it with Linda and with Charlie Goring and Alan and Mildred Johnson and others who have gone on uh, from our our family to be with the Lord. How much greater it is when we sing it right here, when things are changing all around us. Barbara has has received her inheritance. Incredible inheritance waiting for Christ followers can smile through the tears and walk in purity and in a manner that pleases the Lord. Now, one of the reasons that, that I think Peter keeps coming back to this 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 idea of purity and the and and the necessity of purity in a difficult trial is because it's so easy when we get in the middle of a trial to feel like we're out of control. And and many of us will tend to go to those things that have brought us pleasure or comfort, although they're sinful or wrong, or at the very least not the best activities for us to participate in. Because in in an odd sort of way, we feel like it gives us control. It's like a person who has long put away alcohol, but then a trial comes along and he... He or she goes to the to the bottle because there's a measure of comfort, and I can bring at least this control into my life. Not sure that I understand the psychological construct, but I've seen it over and over and over in my own life as well as in the lives of other people. We we revert to the things that we feel like we've got a control over, and of course, those things very much end up controlling us. So especially in a time of suffering. It is important to maintain our integrity and our walk with the Lord during those times when we feel like, all right, well, I'm going to give myself a break because life is so hard, I'm going to do this thing that will bring me a measure of comfort, but ends up being the wrong thing altogether. Well, Peter dresses, addresses our behavior in the midst of trials. First uh, Peter, as I've mentioned before, is considered by theologians to be just one of the gems of the New Testament. Martin Luther, in fact, considered it on par theologically with the Gospel of John and, the, and, and Paul's epistle to the Romans. And those are pretty stout books when it comes to theology. We A lot of what we know about God and about salvation in Jesus, we derive from those two, two books, John and Romans. And, and Martin Luther says, and put Peter right up there with it, First Peter. Right up there with it. This morning we're going to be in First Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 17. Now, a few weeks ago, we were in chapter 2, verses 13 to 25, where Peter encouraged all men and women to submit to and to honor a godless government. He commanded slaves to honor their owners, their masters, even if the, if the masters were cruel and un, unkind and not Christians. And then he gave an example. He said, you know how Jesus went to the cross and he didn't open his mouth when people accused him. He didn't revile back when people reviled him. He didn't defend himself. He just trusted himself to the one who judges justly. You remember that? Follow that example. But then Peter made it quite clear that following that example is not enough. There's more to the cross than just following Jesus to it in his example. And if we have any hope of honoring those who abuse us, especially those in authority who abuse us, how in the world are you going to honor those people? Well, 
Jesus did something that, at the cross that makes that possible. Last week, when we went into chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, it became clear that those verses where wives were told to submit to and honor husbands who were not godly in many cases, and, and husbands were told to honor their wives just like we are to honor all men, uh, it became clear that those were connected with the passage before it. I've concluded after this week's study and, 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 and reading yet again through the book of First Peter that chapter 2 verses 21 to 24 is, is the center of the entire book. And in fact, all that is before and after that passage looks to the truth stated here for meaning. What's in those verses? The gospel. The gospel. So it shouldn't be a surprise that it's the center of the book. The gospel, the truth of the gospel is the center of the entire scripture. All of scripture points to Jesus. In fact, it points to the cross of Jesus. I want to read those verses again, but please stay seated because this isn't our text for the message. But I want us to just let these words sink into your heart and mind before we go on to today's lesson and text because that's what this is all about. It all points back to here. For to this you have been called... Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. This is, is what he's saying. For to this you have been called, that is, to honor those who mistreat you. Leaving, he's left you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in, in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one or to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree, the cross. He died to pay for the sins of all who will believe. He's, an, he's our example in suffering. But simply looking Him and following His example isn't going to get it done for us because we, even with good intentions, want to go our own way. We want, in fact, you know how, how maybe you parents will tell your children, I want you to do something and you need to do it this way. And they do it in an entirely different way and it doesn't end up with the same result that you wanted at all. And they say, well, hey, come on, I, I did it, aren't you pleased? Yes, but I gave you specific instructions and this is the way that you needed to do it. When, when we go off just following Jesus' example, we, we end up adding a lot of our own ways and our own ideas to, to what God had planned for us. The point is to let Him live through us. He died. He bore our sins on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteous, righteousness. When we follow Jesus' example, all we do is go to the cross. And all we can do when we get there is to lie down. You can't even crucify yourself. Just lie down. Yield to Him. Let Him put to death those things in your body that are not pleasing to Him. And really disgust you in the long run. Oh, they may please you for just a little bit. How many times do you say, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. Oh, well, die to sin that we might live to righteousness. When we yield to him, the Holy Spirit leads us according to the word that he authored, even though 
Peter was the instrument he used to write these words. It was the Holy Spirit giving this instruction and he leads us and gives us the power and Christ in us enables us to do what we can't do for ourselves. So with the cross of Jesus at the forefront of our minds, let's read our text today. First Peter 3 verses 8 to 17. Would you please stand for the reading of the word and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ and the Lord is holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, and for doing evil. Let's pray. Well, Father, our hearts are open to your word this morning. And we recognize that not only this passage, but all of Scripture has to be read in the shadow of the cross. And so, with these difficult words that prepare our hearts for suffering, we pray that we might find identity, that we might find relationship with Jesus in His sufferings. Speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and be seated. Well, the holidays are upon us, are they not? Have you, um, let me ask you, have you started listening to Christmas music? Anybody here besides me listening to Christmas music? Okay, now we got two more that raise their hands. So that makes three of us. That's good. Four. Okay. That's good. I, I love the holidays. I, I love Christmas music. I love, so don't talk to me about the commercialization. I love it all. I like the lights. I like all of that stuff. Now, I, I know the focus has got to be on Jesus. It's got to come back to the manger, which ultimately leads us right back to the cross. But I just love the holidays. And, and of course, one of the great things about holidays is family gets together. This is the year that my entire family, all of my kids, grandchildren, will be at my house. My sister will also be here from Fort Lauderdale with her kids. And my other sister will be with Jim and Joy Aycock, who, who are like family to me. I just love this time of year. I love for family to get together. And I, 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 I know that you do also when your family can get together. I mean, we're close. We're really close. And sometimes we get on each other's nerves. But that's the way it's supposed I mean, that's just the way it is. Inevitably, when you're in a family, that's going to happen from time to time. But we get over it and love each other all the more after we get over it. That's the way family is supposed to be. Well, did you know that our church family is, to, is supposed to be that close? Now, I know, I, I recognize that 
that you can't know everybody here. There are new people coming in all the time. All the time. I talk to you and I'll mention someone and you say, no, I'm, I'm not familiar with them. How long have they been coming? I'll say three years. And you say, oh, ooh. with two services, that just is bound to happen. I'm, that's not a rebuke. I realize it's just difficult for us to be connected with every single person here. You, there are lots of ways that you can get connected with other people, but our church body is called to be that close. We'll make, I'll make a plug for, for home groups in, in just a little bit, which is probably the best way to, to get close to the family here. But God designed for us to be that close, the kind of close that our family's gonna be on Christmas Eve when, when we finish the service here and we go home and, in my home and, and we're sharing a meal together and we're just enjoying life together. That's the way we're supposed to be at church. Well, Paul, in, in verse 8, excuse me, Peter, talks about our family obligations to one another. One of the reasons that we're so close is that we recognize we have responsibilities to each other. And we do our best to fulfill them. Uh, then, beginning in verse 9, Paul begins to tell us how we are to respond to those who treat us badly. I mean, verses 10 to 12 call for... Sincerity and purity by appealing to an Old Testament text, Psalm 34, verses 12 to 16. Uh, before we look at all of these verses, and we're going to spend a lot of time in verse 8. I'll just tell you ahead of time. Let's address the question as to whether in verse 9, the ones who do evil against us are Christ followers or whether they're unbelievers. I mean, who is it? Who is he talking about? Because clearly, verse 8 is family Talk. If this is okay. Everybody leave. We got some family business to deal with, uh, and, and that's what verse eight is about. But now, verse nine is he is he talking about how to respond to family when when they're mistreating you? Is he is he right back to talking about suffering that comes to us at the hands of those who don't know Jesus? Well, scholars are divided, but I have a fairly strong opinion about this. I don't know. Um, that's my opinion. I don't know. Actually, I do uh, lean one way. I lean pretty strongly to thinking that verse 8 is talking in the family. And then verse 9, he goes right back to saying, now here's how you're to respond to those who mistreat you. But that makes verse 8 all the more important. And even though that's tend- the way that I tend to lead, it- it's, cert- it's, it- it's far from certain. And-, and when we get to verses 9 through 12, we can certainly apply these principles here to any who mistreat us, whether they be Christians or not. So, having cleared that up, let's look back in verse 8, where I think Peter is telling his readers how very important it is for them to love one another well. And one of the reasons I think he's saying this is so crucial is because, look, there's going to be a lot of stuff coming at you from without. And this is going to fortify you. This is going to strengthen you and enable you to face everything that Satan throws against you if you love one another in this way. This verse seems to me more important to the ten verses that we're going to explore today than its length would indicate at first glance. Peter begins this section by say, or begins verse 8 by saying, finally. Now some would say that that's the conclusion to what has gone before, beginning in 2.13, or it's a transition to the next section. I, I, I'm not so sure. It may mean pretty much the same thing that I mean when I'm halfway through a sermon and I say, in conclusion, uh, you know, really doesn't mean much, except that in light of 
all of the, of the suffering that we experience, it's important that you treat one another this way. And you have this love for one another. And you love one another as only a family can. This love begins with unity of mind. Now that doesn't mean that you agree on everything, does it? I mean, hardly. There are lots of, does your family agree on everything? No, you don't agree on everything. And yet, you love one another deeply. I mean, if you're frustrated with your brother or sister or your cousin, that's okay. But let an outsider start talking about your brother or cousin or sister and what happens. I mean, it changes your mind all, all, all the way. You're, all of a sudden, your brother or cousin that you were really upset with five minutes ago is the greatest person ever. And don't you dare talk about my brother that way. You know, it's just the way family is. And that's the way we're supposed to be with one another here. Family sticks together. Now, in church life, though, it's, it's different. Because we don't go home with these people. We don't gather together in the homes for, for holidays. And, and, and the temptation is to think of this not as a family, but as an organization. Now, let me just encourage you. If you're frustrated about something that's going on here at church, please share your frustration with the elders, but don't walk away from here. And don't try to get one part of the family pitted against another part of the family. We need to stick together. And, and, and as I say that, I, I need to tell you, I have absolutely no knowledge that anybody is frustrated at that level. But I'm telling you, it would be almost surprising if nobody is frustrated, at least to some level, about some of the stuff going on here. You cannot allow those frustrations to fester. Deal with them, whether it's just taking them to the Lord and saying, okay, God, in my willingness to defer to others, to be humble, it's not something I care about or I I like so much, but I'm just going to let it go. Or talk to the people in charge and, and express your Opinions, talk to the elders and look at the elders. You have to trust the elders enough to bring this before the Lord, to pray about it, to hear you, to hear you all the way, to pray about it and then to move on. Now, perhaps, look, I didn't mean to talk about it this much. Maybe, maybe this is your cue that you need to come because I don't know of anything going on. But if it is, please, if in, in your heart you're hurting or you're frustrating, let's, let's deal with this as family. Satan hates us, and he wants to divide us, and it kills our, absolutely kills our witness to the world when he is successful. I mean, but don't you think we have enough troubles with the world coming against us that we ought to stick together? You know, First Peter, the great thing about going through a book is that the more you read through it, the, the further you go in, in, in studying it, and as one thing builds on another, you start to get... A, a, a greater sense of what was being written than you ever could possibly by just going and reading these wonderful verses. Um, Casting your cares on him, for he cares for you. First Peter 5, 7. You know, that's great, but my goodness, by the time we get there, that's going to mean so much more to us than if we just pull it out and say, this verse really encourages me when I'm in a difficult place. And you start to get a sense of, 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 of what's in Peter's heart and mind and therefore what's in God's heart and mind and the Holy Spirit's heart and mind as he writes. And I gotta tell you what my conclusion is about the book of Peter, at least to this point, first Peter. It's like he's saying to these Christians, look, don't, don't make waves out there in the world. There's enough trouble coming on you anyway. 
you stay close to the Lord and you stay close to one another. And when they come at you, then you've got to be ready to give the, a, a reason for, for your re- relationship with the Lord. We'll, we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But, but he's saying, because of all that's out there, you better love one another. And you better support one another because, because you're going to have to make decisions as individuals. As a slave, as a wife married to an uh, ungodly, uncaring husband, as, as citizens, or people who live under the rule of a government that really is increasingly hostile to you and to your faith. You're going to need one another when you have to make those decisions as individuals. And unity of mind is crucial, as is sympathy or an understanding heart. You know, that's a quality that gives others the benefit of the doubt. If I trust your heart, you can say absolutely anything to me. If I know that you love me, you can say, now that doesn't mean that I'm going to like what you say initially. And I might say, you know, I'll, I'll tell you one thing, you know. But I'm going to be, you've got the right to say anything you want to me. And I will listen to what you say. This quality of, of sympathy has, it's that understanding heart that gives others the benefit of the doubt. I don't like what you're saying, but, but you know what? I'm commanded to have this to you whether I trust your heart or not. Really, that doesn't matter. I, I am to try to understand you. Whether or not you care about me or understand. And then that love, of course, perpetuates itself within the body as more and more of us treat one another that way. You know, I wonder how often we would be upset with other people. If we just didn't care so much about ourselves. Most of the time when we get frustrated with others, it's because they're doing something that we don't like. or And we don't like it because we know better or because it's going to affect me negatively in some way. Oh, you got, you know, you're going to, you want us to do this? Well, I, I didn't want to do that because I've got something else going on. And I, it's our frustrations with other people oftentimes. Just think about the number of ways that you're frustrated with people in your life and then think about how much of that boils down to how this impacts me? Or is your frustration really for the greater good of the family or for the organization, say, you know, where, where you have been placed? Be sympathetic toward others and, and show brotherly love. We're, we're back to family. I mean, yesterday morning at our men's prayer breakfast, uh, Sean Cross and Stephen Eisenberg shared some powerful testimonies about family, about family life. And they talked about uh, how they grew up with fathers being absent, at least for a, a while in Stephen's life and, and, and for Sean's whole life. And they talked about how important this relationship with other men is and how their home group began meeting last year and during the time that they were getting to know one another. They just started spending time together playing games like Risk and, 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 and just doing things together. 
And gradually, there developed within that group such a strong bond and such a strong sense of family that continues to this day that when they think about Thanksgiving or Christmas, they're thinking about how can I include this group into my family activities. That's, that's pretty deep relationship. And you know what? That's what God calls us to. And it might not be appealing to you because you might have the castle mentality. Many of us do. In 20th century America, I gotta tell you, I, I, I've, I've brought, I've drawn with myself into my own castle this last couple of years. It's, it's been very difficult for me to want to interact in the midst of my pain. And yet any time that I did interact, I didn't initiate it. But whenever you would say, Hey, come on, let's do something. It, w- it was always meaningful to me. I, I'm coming out of that place, but. I understand what it's like to be in that place, especially with... And, and, and look, so much of our pain is associated with other people. Either people that we've lost, loved ones that we've lost, and we think, how can I risk that kind of love again for somebody? Or, or people that have just done us wrong. And so we want to say, it's just not for me. You know, I'll be there in church and I'll show up for the occasional gathering on Sunday night. And okay, I'll go to home group. But to really, to give my life to other people, can't do it. But that kind of relationship is exactly what Peter was talking about. You know what? We ought to have our homes open to our and our families open to our brothers and sisters in Christ, those, those who are here in grace, those who may not have anywhere to go for the holidays, especially international students. What a, you know, if we've got students here, most of the time, Linda and I used to try to, uh, do you have something going on for Christmas? Do you have something? More often than not, they do. But look, I mean, we ought to have, be so accepting that, that, and, and in fact, if, for the international students here today, in both services, if you don't have somewhere to go, this Christmas, please let me know. I'll find somewhere for you to go. You can come to our house. It's going to be uh, quite full, and we would love for it to be fuller still. But if that doesn't work out, you can go to Tony and Ancor's house. We ought to love one another like the guys in the South Fuquay Home Group love each other. And it's not just the guys in that group, by the way. It's the ladies as well. So those of you in the Fuquay Home Group that meets... At my house, take notice, both of you. <laughs> we have a lot of good intentions, but uh, so far we're small, but we're going to grow a lot, especially after the first of the year. You know, where there's brotherly love, a tender heart is usually just not a problem. I mean, Peter's talking about a compassionate heart that rejoices with those who rejoice and weeps with those who weep. This past year was the 40th anniversary of Woodstock. Now, I gotta tell you, when I was a hippie in my high school years, as much as you can be a hippie and live at home, uh, Woodstock was the gold standard of everything that we held dear. I mean, everybody just thought about, this was a great shining moment for humanity at, at, at Yasker's Farm there in, in New York. 500,000 strong. And it was everything we stood for or everything we thought we stood for anyway. You know, I'm going to say that there was genuine caring and compassion shown at that tent, that, that, that event. And, and a song was written about the experience by a lady who went simply by the title of Melanie. And, and, and in it she's saying, we were so close there was no room. We bled inside each other's wounds. 
We had all caught the same disease. We all sang the songs of peace. Have you ever wished for that kind of unity with other people? I have. I mean, it was genuine at Woodstock, but it didn't last because it was based on self-centered interests, which I guess calls into question whether it was genuine or not. I think so because we're all made in the image of God. But unless God fully controls our lives, then the love that, that initially goes out somehow always comes back to me. In fact, if we know Jesus, it, 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 the temptation is great, which is why we have to day after day die to ourselves and live to righteousness and live for others. You know, in the church, we have the potential to make this kind of love, this kind of community, an everyday norm, not the exception that happens at, at, at big, exciting gatherings once in a generation. And i got to tell you, when Sean and Stephen spoke yesterday morning, I thought, wow. I mean, it, it really is possible. It, it's really possible. It is. A tender heart shouldn't be a temporary condition. The way to keep a tender heart is to maintain a humble mind. Humility was a dirty word in the first century. Well, it was a weak word anyway. Humility was considered a sign of weakness and shame and it rendered one unable to defend his honor. And, and and when you're all about defending your honor, you ain't about the cross. Because at the cross, Jesus just let them do whatever they wanted to. He didn't speak a word. He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. So humility may be considered a sign of weakness. And we got to, you know, in the 21st century, we just got to stand up for ourselves because ain't nobody else going to, right? Well, if you'll entrust yourself to the one who judges justly, he will. I don't know where the line is. I don't know where the line. When there are misunderstandings at work or in the neighborhood, you need to explain yourself as best you can. But at a certain point, you just got to let it go. And you know what you got to do? You got to love. You got to love them. Well, before we talk about those who are outside the body, just just to conclude verse 8, a Christ follower is called to honor his brothers and sisters more than himself. And for a family to be a great family, whether it be at your home or in this body known as Grace Community Church, a significant degree of humility is required by most, if not all. And maybe that's why there aren't many great church families. Now, we're more than two-thirds of the way through the sermon, uh, and we've covered actually about three-quarters of the way. We've covered one verse out of ten. Sometimes that happens because I just get so caught up in the truth in those verses that are early on that I, I just don't get to that. And I just have to, you know, point one is like this, and two and three are like that, you know. Well, two's like that, three's like that, and it's just like, okay, let's pray and go. That's not the case today. It, it, it's intentional. In fact, you're going to be spending more time thinking about verse 8 in, in home group this week, uh, ex- except for the Fuquay home group. We're going to be at the TVR banquet on Tuesday night. And by the way, let me make the plug for that. Look, as Keisha sent around this week, 
TVR is increasingly important to our body. It's doing a lot of things, not only for our, our students, but also for our families, our couples, as they go up on couples retreats. So if it's at all possible for you to be there, and I don't know if, if Tammy, I didn't check with Tammy. If you don't see Tammy Penner to get a ticket, check with me. I can make sure that they know you'll be coming on um, Tuesday night. But the reason I spent so much time on verse 8, it's because of the importance of body life in the face of suffering, especially when suffering is caused by persecution. You know, I, if we were hiding in caves from the government, I, I doubt we would squabble about minor differences in theology or Christian practice. I'm not talking about the important stuff. We would squabble over that. But just think about the things. You, you probably wouldn't, wouldn't say, would you shut up with the tongues? I don't see an interpreter. You know, we, we, we wouldn't be talking like that. This person would be precious to us. Huge. It would be, it would be, it would be important. We would understand how important that person who is next to us in the cave really is. And the fact is that the one who's sitting beside you right now is just that important, but we just don't see it. Because we don't have to. Because we're going to go separate ways and pull for different teams this afternoon. And we're going to, you know, we're going to have different interests. We're going to watch different movies. And we're going to do different activities. Because we're really not that much in the family. Verse 9 indicates, as verse 9 indicates, if we live as we are called to in verse 8, then we'll have the strength to live up to our calling, which is... To this you have been called to honor those who revile and persecute us. And instead of um, uh, cursing people, we will bless them. And that blessing is more than, than, than just saying, bless you, my son, my child. It is actually seeking to make that person's life better. Now, just imagine how difficult that is. You cannot do that apart from the cross. A person who wants to destroy you and you're trying to make his or her life better. Well, that would make me appear weak. Well, yeah, we're back to the humility thing, aren't we? We're back to who's in charge. We'll respond to others instead of reacting to them. And in that odd way of true life, we'll receive a blessing. Because it's always more blessed to give than to receive, is it not? Actually, in giving, we receive more than we could have ever hope to receive apart from giving. You know, it makes perfect sense for Peter at this point to quote Psalm 34. When God speaks of loving life, he's not talking about the length of life to which uh, he's not talking about length of life. He's, He's referring rather to the quality of life. How do we enjoy life? Keep control over our tongues or ask God to control our tongues since we seem to not do such a good job of that and stay pure. And when we're pure, and of course that's only done in in, in His strength, but God sees and He's pleased to protect our hearts even if our bodies are persecuted. Verse 12 reminds us to entrust ourselves to the One who judges justly. All wrongs are going to be made right. Now verse 13 indicates that Peter wrote his letter prior to widespread persecution. Who will hurt you for doing what is right? few years later, the people in the congregation, the readers, I mean, the listeners would have said, Nero, that's who. We're not doing anything wrong. And he's coming at us. 
Peter may have anticipated that a bit because he said in verse 14, even if you suffer for righteousness sake, even if you do have to suffer for righteousness righteousness sake, God's going to bless you. Therefore, don't fear only those who are called or, or who can harm your body. Now, that's easy to talk about here, you know, in Harnett County. Again, when we're going to watch games and go out to restaurants and do things like that, just hang out. It ain't so easy in the Sudan. Peter encouraged his readers to stand strong in the face of physical torture by looking to the one who bore the cross for us. Honor the Lord Christ in your hearts and always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is in you when others ask about it. Can I ask you a question? How long has it been since somebody has said, has asked you that question like, what, what, what is it that's different about you? I mean, tell me about this Jesus thing. It seems to make a huge difference in your life. How long has it been since somebody asked you that? I mean, this is what this verse implies, that, 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 that people will notice. And by the way, this is written to the body. This is not just to individuals, although individuals are in mind here as well as the body. But people ought to notice our intense love for one another and say, my goodness. I'd like some of that myself. I'd like to know what that is. This verse, verse 15, I mean, we want to say, okay, let's get all of our reason arguments and go to a college campus and debate an evolutionist. You know? And it's not what the verse is saying. This isn't about outreach. In fact, it's, it's stunning how little there is about outreach in the epistles of the New Testament. Jesus commanded it. It's all over the book of Acts. And that's more than enough for us to say we need to get out there sharing the gospel. But you know what he said? My sense of this book is don't make waves. you got enough trouble coming at you anyway. Obey your masters. Obey the government. Don't, don't go looking for persecution. It'll find you if you're supposed to be, to have it. It's going to find you. But when people see the love that you have for one another, they see that you are standing up even in the face of great persecution, and they're going to want to know what is it that makes you different. And you need to be able to tell them, be always ready. If that's going to happen, we're going to have to know. We're going to have to know this book. You should be able to defend why you're a Christian. And you need to tell them, it's the cross of Jesus that makes you who you are. But tell them gently, not with an argumentative spirit. So that if they are offended, they're offended at the message of the cross, not at the messenger. We've heard that before, haven't we, in this book? If you must suffer for your faith, make sure that you're doing nothing more to create this persecution than proclaiming Jesus gently to those who don't know them. And if you suffer, well, it's better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And when you, when you suffer, remember back in verse 8, this is a family thing. We all suffer with you. You know, the Greeks and the Romans had it right when they, when they said, as goes the family, so goes the empire. The health of the empire is dependent upon the health of the family structure. It is equally true 
that the family here at Grace Community Church is going to determine our effectiveness in the kingdom. Now, the health of the kingdom is not dependent, uh, dependent upon the health of Grace Community Church. God's bigger than that. He's sovereign. But what a privilege it is for us to minister in the way that He has called us to in our community. It only happens if our family is knit together the way he designed us to be knit together. Because when family is together, incredible things can happen. Let's, let's be that family here at Grace Community Church. Let's pray. Well, Father, uh, so we find ourselves um, very focused and concerned about ourselves. And you call us to love one another deeply. You've also called us to represent Jesus well. And Jesus himself said, By this all men will know you are my disciples because you have love one for another. And this love ain't an easy thing, Lord. I mean, we the further we go into, into thinking about love, the harder it gets. Because we want to love in the ways that we want to love. And we tend to love others the way that we like to be loved ourselves. And Once again, your definition is so much broader than our own. So open our hearts, open our minds to your word, to the cross of Jesus and to one another. Father, it's not all about dying. There's a whole lot of living. It's just that we got to die before we can live. So as we die to ourselves, raise us up, Lord, to love this group of brothers and sisters known as Grace Community Church. And Lord, may our hearts reach out and love Phil and Barbara Wilson and Heather and Ryan and the, and, and, and Tripp and Audrey and, and the grandchildren. Lord, may they know that they are part of a family that loves them deeply. And may that love bring them strength and comfort during the most difficult of times for them and their loss and their great loss. Lord, we, we, we just end our time thanking you so much for the death of Jesus that enables us to hope and not to grieve as those who have no hope. And as Jim McLaughlin has already done in his prayer, in, our, in a very real sense, we commend our sister Bob, Barbara to you. <laughs> and we rejoice with her even as we weep with the family. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand for the benediction?